You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, episode 130. We have two types of client that come. They come because they have a specific conflict in mind that they're struggling with, what we call before, during, or after. So in other words, before a dispute has actually erupted, they have someone they've been avoiding or a conversation they're avoiding. We prepare them for that. They might be in the middle of a conflict and the other person is very well aware and they're in a circle. They're in a not so merry around concept or the conflict has passed and months have passed, but it's impacted the relationship so that, that it's after. And so mm-hmm. we help them figure out what do you want to do to restore that relationship or what do you want to do to not be in that situation again. But the second type of client that comes in are managers and leaders who know they have a pattern of behavior. They want to change the pattern of behavior. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Star Coach Show. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler. As always, I am so happy that you're with us and that you can experience another expert talking about the field of coaching, a different specialty in coaching. Actually, today, we're going to look through the lens of how our coaching skills can help with conflict management and resolution. And I'm going to be introducing you to our fabulous guest in just a minute. I do want to take a moment to thank those of you who have been filling out the listener survey to help me know more about what you're looking for where your areas of growth are, as well as the things that you're really enjoying about your practice. The more that I get to know all of you, I definitely wind that into both what I bring to the show, as well as the other offerings that that I will be having for you. So thanks again for that. If you have yet to fill out the listener survey and would like to do so, just look for the link in the show notes at starcoachshow.com. And now let's talk about what we have in store for you in today's episode. We're joined by Patricia Porter. She is a 25-year conflict management and resolution expert. She's actually known as the Texas Conflict Coach, although she will tell us in her interview that she doesn't just help people in Texas. She helps people around the world. She is a licensed clinical social worker and a certified coach through the ICF. She's also an accredited boss whisperer, and that is a specialty around coaching leaders who exhibit abrasive behaviors. And then she also teaches this very skill of conflict coaching to graduate students at Southern Methodist University, SMU, here in the Dallas area. Patty resides in San Antonio. And we had a really full talk about what the differences are. What are some of the issues that come up when we're talking about conflict, whether it's conflict 
avoidant leaders, whether it's conflict abrasive leaders, the different elements that create an impact on the flow in an organization. Now, the other thing that we talked about is that conflict doesn't just happen in the work setting. It can happen in other relationships. But Patty is such an expert in sort of showing how the flow of this model and just the concept of helping people address that which they might want to avoid, how powerful that can be, and how this specialty has grown her business over the past 25 years. So she's definitely an expert in this. She brings a wealth of information to all of us to consider whether you are interested in potentially adding this to an offering that you have as a coach, even if you don't specialize or accredit in conflict resolution and management, definitely understanding some of the skills that Patty is going to talk about will be helpful to your practice. So let's go to my interview with Patty Porter. Good morning, Patty. Welcome to the Star Coach Show. It is fabulous to have you with us. I'm excited to be with you, Meg. Thank you. So Patty does some coaching that not all of us are probably drawn to, very honestly, Patty. As you had mentioned in our pre-interview interview, that you know we, we tend to be conflict avoidant as human beings. And yet you sort of charged right into the hub of conflict resolution, conflict management in your coaching. What attracted you to conflict resolution coaching? Great question. I had already been practicing as a conflict resolution practitioner mediator since 1993. In about 2003, 10 years into facilitating conflicts in groups and mediating disputes, I found that, and this was a discovery when I was working at the University of Delaware in their EAP program, employee assistance program, because I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Yes, that's and, something Patty and I share. We're both licensed clinical social workers, which we're good yes. to find out about. Yes, and it was interesting because in-house EAP, we were getting a lot of faculty and staff who were having, you know, a lot of times people think of EAP as counseling, which it is. But the majority of the uh, places I was getting really with faculty and staff and supervisors and leaders was conflict. And we, we started offering mediation uh, options through our EAP. Since we were in-house, we had the flexibility to do that. But I found that a lot of people didn't want to be in front of the other person talking to them about the conflict. As you said, conflict avoidant. And I thought, well, but they don't need counseling. And it was around 2003 that conflict coaching started to emerge in the dispute resolution field, which is where I found myself, my home in the field. And I thought, conflict coaching? What, what? Okay, so what is this? And so that began my journey, learning a very specific model is actually one of two well-known models in the world. And and so I studied under Cindy Noble uh, conflict coaching and started to use it with the staff and leaders that were coming into the AAP. And that's where I started to really build my craft as a conflict coach. How exciting. So when you, you brought up this, this dynamic that people wanted to 
reach out to you in the AP because they were having conflict. But when you said to them, well, let's get together and sort of figure this out, they didn't want to be face-to-face with the person that they were having the conflict with. So I can't imagine that that dynamic just suddenly changed when you became a conflict coach. How do you deal with that resistance? Well, I mean, first of all, you know, we're, we're always working with the client on, you know, as coaches, even as counselors, uh, mediators, there's always a goal. They're, 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 they have a vision in their mind about what it is they're wanting by the end of whatever's going to happen. And if they're afraid of having a, a one-on-one conversation with a facilitator, for example, a mediator that's neutral, then they say, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I want to figure it out on my own. Own, then that says to me, okay, so here's another option for you. Here is conflict coaching. And what I tell the client is it's a one-on-one process that's really about helping you figure out, one, what is your conflict coaching goals about this situation? And using a structured model, let's figure out what's going on because they're, they're so stuck in their story about the other person and the conflict with that person that we use the model to deconstruct the conflict. And the other person may or may not know about the conflict, by the way. Okay, so you're not necessarily <laughs> sitting them down with this other person. You're no. sitting down one-on-one with them to help them figure out their story, figure out what's going on in their own head about the situation. Yeah, and not just from their perspective, but a big element of the conflict coaching model is what we call mutuality, which is really trying to help them understand from the other person's perspective what they believe the story might be, what they might be true by and what what was the contribution the client may or may not have made to where they find themselves in and their contribution could be not speaking up mm-hmm. not having the courage to have a voice and so therefore it has built for them and so so yes we're helping them figure out the story we're helping them to figure out what's the other perspective and from that then their goal might change and they might say you know I really do need a conversation and, and I want to do it on my own can you coach me through that or I need to have a conversation but I need someone there with me or it could be I'll never have a conversation and I just want to respond differently to this person I can no longer continue to avoid this or I can can no longer continue to let this build up for me. I want to learn different ways to respond to this person when X behavior happens or X sarcasm happens or X phrase happens. I want to be different. And so we help them through that as well. Oh, that's so powerful. So how do you tend to get your clients? How do they like learn about you? Well, over time, all my work is in the workplace, whether it's a federal agency, a family business, whatever the workplace organization, there's three primary ways that I get clients. One is uh, they find me on the website, you know, because I'm known as the Texas Conflict Coach, but I provide services to a lot of clients along the United States and some internationally. I have a federal agency contract. So those, that's an automatically audience feed, a client feed automatically. So I'm on these rosters for dispute resolution. So agencies will call me as a mediator, conflict coach, et cetera. So those are automatic. The second is people who I know who have businesses and they're like, you're our conflict you know, conflict coach, guru person. Anytime we have conflict, we're calling you and we'll make referrals or they find me on the website because they're in a lot of conflict and they're looking for someone maybe in my area. And so they'll find me through my website, but usually it's going to be a business workplace oriented type of client. 
Well, and I know that you're also known as sort of the boss whisperer. So somebody who works with abrasive bosses. When you're working with abrasive bosses, tell me a little bit about what that process might look like. Well, that, you know, so I am considered one of, one of many boss whisperers. Dr. Laura Croshaw, the Boss Whispering Institute, is a psychologist out of Oregon who developed a very specific coaching model for dealing with abrasive behaviors, particularly in leaders, so managers and leaders. So I went through a real extensive training in supervision because she is a psychologist. So her father, a psychiatrist, believes in supervision, which I needed because these are difficult cases. Yes. Um, I mean, I can imagine the audience is like, oh, my gosh, she intentionally works with abrasive bosses. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because Laura and I for a long time had conversations when I first found her and she and I connected on LinkedIn. I told her what I did in conflict resolution, conflict management, and she had never heard of the field. And I said, well, I've never heard of the work that you do. So we had these long conversations about the difference between our abrasive behaviors and leaders and bosses. Isn't that the same as conflict coaching? Why would it be different from, let's say, abrasive leader coaching, abrasive behavior coaching? And so we came to a real understanding about the difference I was doing in conflict coaching and how that might be different in the model with abrasive behavior. And abrasive behavior is very chronic. It's not just a one-time conflict situation and we don't know how to deal with conflict. It's how do we deal with chronic behavior that's the default for that leader. And so the model is very different in one that it really involves the leadership, the senior leadership that's bringing you in because without their holding the leader that I might be coaching accountable, Mm -hmm. holding consequences, positive or negative consequences, and being able to allow a 360 degree interviews, without that structure in place, it's going to fail because the leader is not going to be coming to me on their own volition. So these are usually abrasive coaches that are sentenced to coaching with you to change it, to impact a behavior. To some degree, the majority of them are going to be, you know, voluntold or to say, look, if this doesn't change, you know, and, and you're not changing on your own. I have had some self-referrals because, you know, clients realize, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my job again. And I don't want to change that. That's rare to get someone who self-refers, but mm-hmm. they're in, they're, they've noticed out of, after 20 years of a pattern that, you know, they lost their 10th job that, okay, maybe, it maybe it's time to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I need Patty. Yeah. Yeah. So they are difficult, but th- that is also very structured in the sense of the process without HR or the the senior leadership, or maybe it's an advisory board or executive board that, you know, supervisors or guides the CEO. Some of those are even difficult because some of the abrasive leaders are the top person. There is Mm -hmm. no one that holds them accountable except maybe an advisory board. So a lot of times they are, even though their advisory board says, look, you better do something, even then, sometimes those are even difficult to take on because they're, they're not willing to make the changes in their behavior. They'd rather have the destruction and the employees, you know, filing out and leaving constantly. So, yeah, those are very, very challenging cases. So when you're working with somebody who is really negatively impacting their environment, And my audience will know that one of the reasons why I transitioned from my therapy practice into executive coaching was in the 
hope, my vision was to hopefully make organizations healthier because I was working with so many people in my therapy practice who were being impacted by very unhealthy working environments. So you get brought in to potentially help somebody. What is the goal? What is your goal when you're working with an abrasive leader? Well, an abrasive leader or even a conflict avoidant leader, because a lot of people, they, they kind of cling to the abrasive leader like, wow, that's pretty amazing you're doing that. But you know what? I, I want to make sure that coaches are clear that some of the leaders that can cause as equal much of damage or more are those leaders who are conflict avoidant. Oh, such a good and point. so... Yeah. Yes, that really has, I brought, I've been brought in more times for conflict avoidant leadership than I have for abrasive leadership because they just don't know, you know, what to do with a conflict avoidant because they're so silent, you know, about so then the conflict, what are the but costs their teams of that? are all, yeah. I mean, the cost for either is, well, for the abrasive leader, because it's so out there, it's in your face, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone sees it. The cost, depending on how severe the situation's been, you know, obviously we start, we see an increase of informal and formal complaints, grievances, even sexual harassment, EEO cases. The abrasive leader, the abrasive behaviors and leaders, they're very brilliant people. They're super competent, but they really struggle with emotional intelligence and how to engage with with the, their people. I mean, they're right. leading people and that's where they are really struggle. And so the cost are to the people, the cost of people leaving, the cost of people like they're, I'm not getting transferred there. The cost of people being felt beat down. The company or the organization recognizes the brilliance of the leader, which is how they got in that position in the first place. But it, it, they're starting to, organizations over the last few years are starting to recognize we no longer can accept this kind of conduct. And so you're starting where I'm starting to see a shift of more and more coaching mm -hmm. in both abrasive leadership, but also in conflict avoidance, the silence on conflict avoidant uh, leaders is that they're considered weak. They're considered, oh, they can't make a decision. Oh, our teams uh, can't approach that person because they're not going to really help be a voice for us because they're, they, they want to be friends with everyone or, oh, oh, I just want everyone to get along. They don't have the skill set to maneuver negotiations, problem solving. They're very people friendly and they're very sensitive to people's emotions. But the negative... Where the rubber that, hits the road kind of the thing. the rubber hits the happens. road, then maybe they're over collaborative to the point that it becomes a very negative in that regard. And so so the cost can be the same as well. I mean, not that they're getting more... Sometimes I'll see more EEO complaints, like, you know, the civil rights types of complaints. Mm -hmm. I might see informal complaints, you know, to the HR about they're not, you know, stepping up. They're not making decisions. They don't like conflict, which means then people uh, will mimic their behavior. So then it becomes a conflict avoidant culture. And so leaders are really, really important in playing the role of how they model what kind of culture right. that they want in the organization. So lots so, of costs involved. <laughs> lots of costs involved. So I wonder if you work with teams. I know you said that your, your process is sort of a one-on-one -on -one kind of thing, yet I know that teams can have conflict and, and that can impact the working of an organization, that can impact how successful a team is or, or a department is or those kinds of things. So 
when you work with a team, because I, I know you do work with teams, how, do, how does that look? So just to clarify, you know, so for 25 years, I'm a, I consider myself a conflict management or resolution practitioner because those are two different things. So conflict management is how do I deal and manage daily the little triggers, the little microaggressions? How do I manage it within myself? But also how do I recognize it in my teammates? Because if I don't know how to recognize that, then the conflict can escalate to a polarized dispute over a period of time. So conflict management is understanding those triggers, those values, really learning how to read and listen deeply as a manager or leader. Conflict resolution is about problem solving. So that's where I I might come in as a mediator and say, okay, here's a specific issue. Here's a specific dispute. Let's try to understand it. Let's try to come to a resolution because not all issues are resolvable. There's going to be things in an organization within a team, let's say values, you know, we we have a set of values that we espouse in a team or an organization, but we keep clashing on these values. And so how do we manage those clashes on a regular basis so it doesn't become so escalated? So I practice on any given week, I could be facilitating with a team, I can be conflict coaching with an executive or abrasive coaching, depending on the specialty. I could be training, I could be yeah, doing, I teach as well. And so any of those particular facilitated or problem solving modes, conflict management modes I can be doing. So a team, when someone calls me, they might say, look, we have a a small team of five and there's two people in particular that are in conflict, but it has impacted the whole team. What can you do to help us to work with that team? So the first thing I do is I go through an analysis, an assessment. You know, is the problem really the two people in the team or is it something systemically that's going on, but it's manifesting? So I do an assessment by doing interviews. And then from that, I could say systemically, this is what's going on. Yes, it's manifesting between these two individuals. So what I need to do is prepare them for facilitated dialogue. So I might do coaching to prepare them for the facilitated dialogue, okay. then mm-hmm. facilitate the two dialogues or mediation. You know, there's some variation to that. Usually I'll facilitate the dialogues. And then after we've done that, then we talk about how has this impacted the team. And then I will facilitate the whole team conversation and really get into problem solving and having people have a voice. So depending on what's going on with the team will will depend on whether I'm conflict coaching one individual, whether I'm bringing in a mediator, whether I'm going to be the facilitator for the team. So even though I'm a solo practitioner, I have resources that I sometimes have to bring in because I cannot play all hats, all things, right? So what would you say is the difference between playing, being having the hat on as a mediator versus having the hat on as a facilitator? Well, actually, both are the same in terms of being neutral, all right? So I'm not taking sides. And actually, the facilitator and the mediator, they're very similar facilitated processes. You're a process expert. You're a communication process expert. That's my role is being neutral, but helping to help them have communication in a different way? How do they engage in conflict conversation differently? So it's not just sometimes resolving the issue. It's them learning about things that trigger them that they then learn how to communicate differently when they're in conflict. So a lot of it is really meta discussions. Do you know what that is? Yeah, well, I, but why don't you share a little bit about meta discussions with the audience? So let's say, for example, I was talking 
to a group of men. It was all men in this particular department. They Mm -hmm. were, let's just say, in technology. And they kept arguing about policies and procedures and what was the best safety procedure to follow and all. And they got so stuck in that that they would trigger each other. And I would say, you know, I'd like to pause. And the leader was there and he was tended to be more conflict avoidant. Mm-hmm. And I, I turned to the leader and I said, so what are you noticing in how these three are communicating? And so he would say, well, I'm noticing this, I'm noticing that, you know, when he says this, he seems to get, uh, you know, upset. And I said, so let's have a discussion around how you're communicating and how you're being triggered. So they had not had that kind of thinking about right. that before. Because and they're so focused on the, the safety or yeah. the safety or their opinion and not yes. even paying attention. It's, it's focusing on how we're communicating. The, right. The- and noticing each other, not only noticing each other's body language and facial expressions that would trigger them. I actually, that's where I would take up what we call in the conflict coaching model that I use is called the not so merry-go-round of conflict. So what I did is I brought that element of coaching into the facilitation and said, so I want to, I want to share with you this, how you both get onto the not so merry-go-round. So as I was explaining and talking to them and they were starting to identify what one person would say or do that triggered the other and vice versa, we would start bringing those into our regular conversations because we would meet over time for a period Mm -hmm. of six months. And finally, you know, one of the individuals said, you know, I'm in the circle. I'm in the circle, (laughs) meaning he knew he was in the not so merry-go-round and like, I need to get off the circle. He was starting to recognize, that's how he identified it for himself. He would recognize when he was being triggered so that he could control how he wanted to respond to that trigger instead of the old pattern of communicating. So I love that because it was really changing at the core of how they recognize those microaggressions and how they communicated with each other in conflict. So, so often it's, you know, how do we raise awareness? And, and once that awareness is raised, something that could have been right in our face the whole time, but we're so caught up in the pattern. And so, so what I hear is that you're really helping people begin to understand what is the pattern that I'm engaging in and what different choices can I potentially make to have things work differently. Absolutely. And, you know, something for coaches to understand in, in the conflict coaching specifically, we, we have two types of client that come. They come because they have a specific conflict in mind that they're struggling with, what we call before, during, or after. So in other words, before an, a dispute has actually erupted, they, they have someone they've been avoiding or a conversation they're avoiding. We prepare them for that. They might be in the middle of a conflict and the other person is very well aware and they're in a circle, they're in a not so merry go round concept, or the conflict has passed and months have passed, but it's impacted the relationship so that, that it's after. And so we, mm-hmm. we help them figure out what do you want to do to restore that relationship or what do you want to do to not be in that situation again. But the second type of client that comes in are managers and leaders who know they have a pattern of behavior. They want to change the pattern of behavior. So they're not coming for a specific dispute, but they're like, look, you know, the reason I was promoted to manager is because I'm really good at what I do. But all along, I've been conflict avoidant. So every time I was in a meeting as employee X, and there started to be fighting at the meeting, I would just be really quiet. Well, now I'm the manager 
I can't do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. And so Mm -hmm. they would self-refer and say, I need to be more assertive. I need to be able to handle conflict more effectively. So when you talked about patterns, there are people who come to conflict coaching because they want to stop that pattern. Oh, that's really powerful. When you are teaching about this concept, what is that sort of, so, so let's say that somebody listening might be in a place of that's really intriguing. That's something that I would want to know more about. When they're being trained on this, what are some of the things that they're learning? Well, in the basic conflict coaching course, and the conflict coaching was a model that I use is developed by Cindy Noble out of Toronto, Canada. She's also an MSW, you know, a JD. She was a mediator for a long time, but she developed, like I said, one of two models that's used around the world pretty extensively. And in the basic conflict coaching, she developed it based on the core competencies of ICF. So there are a number of core competencies and it's approved by ICF, etc. So, but what we're learning in the basic model is a very specific seven stage model structure. It's very structured. So for a lot of coaches who come, who are already executive coaches or life coaches, and they want to learn conflict coaching, one of the things we get feedback on the time is, wow, this is so structured. Can't we just kind of come and go into the session and all that? And I <laughs> no. Said, no. <laughs> you know, and I said, well, I could, you could do that. I said, but we find that with conflict, people are so mired into their story. They're so attached to their story that if you don't provide structure, you're going to find yourself going session after session after session going all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so what we're trying to do is deconstruct. So basically they set the goal. We, you know, so there's a lot of time spent setting. What are we trying to do here in this conflict coaching situation? What are your goal around that? So let's say someone says, you know, I- I'm just trying to make a decision about whether I should even have a conversation. And if I have a conversation, I want to make sure that it's professional and friendly. Another common goal is I just want to not always break down and be sarcastic and reactive every time I see this person. And so, so that what, person really wants to change the pattern. They, they want to change the behavior. So then we explore well, what would it look like if it's changed. Then they get to tell their story. Let us know a little bit about the situation. Now, if the conflict's been going on for 15 years, I don't want a 15-year story. Right. You know, it's, it's getting into what's really important, what's bringing you now. If it's been 15 years, what's bringing you now to want to change it? So we do that. And then we use the not so merry go round. And this is the construct I was kind of referring to, which is we really break down one or two situations to break down what is the trigger and what does that trigger mean to you in terms of how does it challenge your value? How does it undermine a need? How does it really tap into who you are in your identity as a person in this relationship? We look at assumptions very specifically. We look at, well, how has it escalated? Has there a boundary that's been crossed? How do you typically externally react? And what are the consequences of that been? And then we go around it again from the other person's perspective. And this is where a lot of shifting happens for the client in their thinking because they haven't thought about, well, what did I do to impact the other person. And the thing about it is, is everyone gets on the not so merry-go-round at different phases. It could be that the client who comes to me and tells me about a situation that happened a month ago, and then we look from the other person's perspective, I said, you know, at what point do you think this other person got on the not so merry-go-round with you? And then they're reflecting and they're like, you know, 
I recall a year ago when we had this incident, blah, 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 that person recognizes that a year ago, mm-hmm. that other person got on the conflict merry-go-round. And so we go through the not so merry-go-round and then they begin to realize, oh my gosh, maybe I blah, blah, blah. And then they also realize that some of the very same values, needs, and identity are the very same things that are challenged for the other person. It's that mirror effect. And we learn that about coaches, right? How do we do right. So they learn about that. And then we reassess the goal. Our, our, where are we with the original goal? And then once we do that, we explore, well, what are their options for reaching that goal? And then we do a lot of rehearsal. So sometimes if they're wanting to rehearse a conversation, we go through a lot of you know, building criteria and elements about what they want us to observe and give them feedback on. And then we look at grounding the challenges or the barriers to actually following through with that action plan. And then we you know, close our each session. So sometimes, depending on what we're dealing, it can take anywhere from three to six sessions on a, a specific situation they're addressing with, with a particular person. If it's behavior patterns are wanting to change, that could be anywhere from three to six months of really working through those behavior patterns and, and mm-hmm. changing the behavior patterns. That's really important work that you're doing because the reality is relationships are going to have conflict and and not all of us and, and really many of us are not equipped to deal with with conflict. We just don't know. So we might avoid or do something that continues it without being aware of our piece of that. What's interesting too, I wanted to make sure coaches understood when you're doing this work is because you asked, you know, what are the things they're going to learn? One is they have to learn how to be neutral to the other person in the dispute. Because so often new coaches will be like, yeah, they sounded like a jerk. And I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's where we want to go. We're we're not being advocates to the client where they're partner, but we also have to challenge their thinking about the other person. So we've got to remain neutral. I think that that's such an important point that as coaches, yes, we both support and challenge, but there is an element just like in motivational interviewing, which is a course that I teach and and a process that I think is really powerful, but we have to stay in that place of neutrality in being sort of exploring where the client wants to go with that and increasing their awareness of the, the role that they're playing in the situation. We learn with coaching, learning coaching, that we're not there for problem solving. And uh, invariably, all, all the folks who come to conflict coaching think they're going to be advising, giving advice and problem solving. I'm like, nah. <laughs> you might be a conflict resolution expert already. Like I'll have a lot of mediators who come in. I'm like, you're not a mediator. And so they really struggle in not being the mediator in a conflict coaching situation. You know, so it's really interesting, all the people who come into the conflict coaching course and really changing their mindset about this is truly a coaching relationship. And so you're not there to problem solve. You're not there to give them advice. You're not there to advocate for them. And and so we know that as coaches, uh, you know, for those who are listening and who are learning how to be coaches. Absolutely. Well, Patty, I have so enjoyed our conversation and looking through the lens of what it is that you do in wearing your coaching hat, being in that in that place of curiosity, yet holding that structure that is particularly important for, for this conflict management and resolution. Anything that I haven't asked that you would like to add or feel that you know, the audience just needs to understand. I think as coaches are doing this work, 
you need to be aware of your own conflict management propensity. If you hate conflict, then I would say get some coaching for yourself because you're going to be dealing with conflict with your clients and they might, you know, put your fr- their frustration and your and their anger and displace that to you. And if you're uncomfortable with conflict or being able to give those kind of observations, you're not going to be effective as a coach. If your propensity is to be competitive in conflict and to defend yourself, you're going to find yourself being triggered yourself in these coaching situations. And you really have to understand your own propensity, your own sense of conflict management style. So just be aware of that. (laughs) Oh, so, so, you know, so often on this show, we talk about that it begins with our own self-awareness and and going inner and and determining what's going on within each one of us as we, we take on whatever role we do as a coach. And I would certainly see that it is of utmost importance if, if one is considering working around conflict. Patty, thank you for bringing your expertise to us. You have been just a wealth of information and I appreciate your time and sharing with the audience today. Well, I really appreciate being invited and thank you so much for allowing me to share what I do and maybe it will interest some other coaches out there to want to get into this specialized area. And thank you so much for offering this STAR uh, podcast coaching program to so many new coaches. I've already been sharing your cast links to a lot of my new coaches, which they'll learn quite a bit from your other uh, guest experts. And I do appreciate that. You have an awesome day. Thank you. So there you go. I just love it when we are able to look at the impact of coaching through so many different perspectives and different applications. I want to thank Patty Porter for coming on the show and sharing her vast experience in working through conflict management and resolution with her clients. And if you'd like to know more about Patty and what it takes to be the Texas Conflict Coach, just go to the resource page at starcoachshow.com. Her information will also be in the show notes. Now, be sure that you continue to come back to the show each and every week because I am absolutely just overwhelmed with excitement about the different guests that we have lined up for this next several months, well, actually through the rest of the year, just so many talented, different experts that are bringing different perspectives for us to learn and grow with. So if you want to be sure that you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to the show. Know that we are on more platforms than ever. So if you've looked for the show on a particular platform that you like and haven't found it, you might look again because we are on more and more platforms. Also, if you are enjoying the show, a rate and review would be very much appreciated. So come back next week and we will continue exploring strategies, tools, and resources for professional coaches. And until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fantastic week.